0: Welcome to the Commerce Connect podcast from Digital River, an e-commerce and payments company dedicated to helping brands go global and grow their revenue. But this isn't about us. This is Commerce Connect, a podcast about people who are creating some of the best e-commerce experiences of our time. Listen on to hear from e-commerce visionaries as they look back on where they started and lessons they've learned that have gotten them to where they are today and what they believe is the future of online shopping.
1: Hi, this is Ted Rogers with Digital River. Today's guest is an industry expert and author, an influencer and co-founder of the MACH Alliance, a fascinating organization of e-commerce organizations looking to future-proof enterprise technology and represent the next generation of technology and business. For his day job, Kelly Gage, is Chief Strategy Officer at Commerce Tools an API-first multi-tenant SaaS commerce platform dedicated to the idea of modern composable commerce. Well, welcome, Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So, Kelly, you've built your career um, that has led you kind of to where you're at today within within, uh, Commerce Tools, but as an evangelist of the idea of, of something called Composable Commerce, um, I'd love to, to have you talk about that a little bit and talk about your path uh, that led you to you know, where you're at today within Commerce Tools. And I'd uh, love to have you know, talk a bit about Commerce Tools itself and the approach you guys take to helping organizations um, leverage your platform.
0: Sure. So I actually started my career in Wausau, Wisconsin, where I'm from, and my wife is from as well. And uh, just by dumb luck, my freshman year uh, of uh, college, I was looking for a summer job. And it turns out footlocker.com is based about two miles from my house. And uh, my very first job there was to take Photoshop images and convert them to HTML wireframes. And at the time, it was the biggest ATG implementation in the world. I mean, just talk about dumb luck. (laughs) So I kind of stepped into it and I really took to it. I'd done a lot of web development by that point. And also good for me was the chief architect of the project was just about to retire. And he was a very um, nurturing guy, very very much wanted to, to help. And I really took to it and we hit it off and he kind of took me under his wing. So I did that for a year. And then my girlfriend and now wife, we moved to Chicago for 10. And there we finished our education, Uh, was an ATG architect for a long time, Uh, was the lead on, I don't know how many was that, 11 Walmart implementations of ATG. So really had a lot of experience in that first wave of commerce platforms. And I think all of them are quite similar. ATG, Hybris, um, WebSphere Commerce, Innershop, those are all pretty representative of that era. You know, they're all very monolithic. You had to get hardware and actually host these applications. There was no such thing as SaaS back then. And you know, I spent time on loading docks getting spark boxes off of trucks. You know, <laughs> I I was in the war rooms for uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday. You know, I was called in the middle of the night to to get a website back online. Like that was my life for a long time. So I, I felt the the pain <laughs> of all of that. And then um, after my uh, first child was born, I didn't want to be traveling every single week. And, uh, you know, as lovely as Dayton, Ohio is, you know, the uh, airport Marriott Express was not a place I wanted to live Monday through Friday. Um, You know, (laughs) you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I thought, all right, I'm going to make a pretty big shift here and get into product management. And I went to work for Oracle. And I was an early product manager in their cloud application foundation group. This was when Oracle was just getting into cloud and, you know, actually investing in it and, you know, I thought they had a reasonable chance and it was a great place to learn how to run a software business at scale. And we took a few, few uh, products to multi-billion dollar uh, in sales, uh, Java cloud service, application container cloud, um, X-Logic, and then my final year there, I was responsible for microservices. And I really loved microservices intellectually. You know, I was kind of getting bored, you know, with uh, with technology because we had been in this era of application servers and monolithic hosted applications forever. You know, APIs weren't really a thing. And microservices just kind of blew it open for me. That was a really intellectually interesting time. I really got to study and learn and I had the space to really go do it. And we built a really cool platform. Um, and that was great. I, I really liked that experience. But at that point I'd been at Oracle for five years. Um, my boss there who I really loved had just left. I thought, all right, you know, it's time to get back to my roots and do commerce. And I thought there has to be somebody out there doing commerce cloud and microservices at scale. And by this point I had written e-commerce in the cloud for O'Reilly. So I had the commerce and cloud portion done and I wanted to add in microservices to it. And I found this small German company, which at the time was like 60 people and the product was fantastic, but it was still very, I don't know, maybe parochial is the, is the wrong word, but very everything in German English, German language only, only sold within the German market. Um, But I could tell there was a real product there. And I joined as chief product officer about six years ago where I'm now a chief strategy officer. Um, Actually, uh, Commerce Tools came out of Hybris. So um, the founders of Hybris and our founder all were in the same dorm room together. And the first Commerce Tools office was actually a sublet in the Hybris office. So we did professional services. We did the first handful of uh, Hybris implementations in Europe and that business went well. Um, But in 2011, Dirk, our founder and CEO, thought there has to be a better way of doing this because Hybris still just wasn't really modernizing. It was still pretty old school. And you know, by 2011, we had real public cloud. We had social media. We had devices. And the legacy commerce platforms did not work at all with that stack. So he thought, all right, let's, let's pivot the business here. He sold off the consulting side and built a product from scratch, invented Headless Commerce in 2013, launched the product, and uh, it was slow for a few years, but now recently the market's caught up. So we're at about 500 employees, um, doing really well financially, uh, and we've uh, won and gone live with many of the big household brand names out there. We've we've done 26 ATG migrations at this point alone.
1: That's fantastic. Uh, pretty impressive journey. I uh, A couple of things you said in there I certainly can relate to the aspect of the old days of having to be in a point where you're unloading trucks. I worked for an e-commerce retailer before as well. And you, know, you get to that holiday period. I, I, we, we've had to do the same as an as a old leadership team. Um, I did not know about the old college roommates, though. That's an, that's an interesting aspect. That's, that's yeah, fantastic. The, the German commerce space is pretty clubby. It's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. So um, on top of this, on top of everything you're, you're, you're doing with commerce tools, you know, a couple of years ago, you founded um, a group that's called the Mock Alliance. Uh, you also chair that, I believe. Um, you know, you're going to read this verbatim. Uh, you know, it's the, the manifesto is to future proof enterprise technology propel current and future digital experiences that, you know, I'd love for you to chat about that a little bit more. You know, you know, that uh, is near and dear to your heart. Uh, so, so tell us tell us more about the mock alliance, what you're trying to accomplish and, you know, who, who are the type of people that are involved?
0: Sure. So, if you go back a few years in Commerce Tools history, our differentiator is our architecture, and we were always struggling with what to call it. And uh, we actually came up with a term called Mach, M A C H, and that stands for microservices, API first, cloud native, multi tenant, SaaS, and headless. M A C H, and it has a nice, uh, you know, connection to speed. You know, it's just a nice, clean acronym, right? And we started using it in some marketing campaigns, and it really caught on. And it caught on to the point where we had partners pick it up and use it in their marketing campaigns. And it got to be so big that I had a developer apply to join my team, and he claimed that he was a mock certified developer. (laughs) And I thought, all right, this is interesting. We have something here. This is good. But I'm also old enough to have gone through cloud, um, the big data craze, um, AI and ML, now we see the metaverse and inevitably whatever happens is when there's a cool new term, the the term um, gets applied to every nasty old product in the world and quickly the term ceases to mean anything anymore ever. <laughs> and we didn't want mock to suffer the same fate because if, you know, IBM started applying mock for WebSphere commerce that completely it doesn't make any sense but there are a lot of folks out there who don't speak tech and have no idea and then it becomes a he said she said thing of who actually is mock and who isn't <laughs> so we got together with uh four other partners and we each chipped in hundred thousand dollars and i registered a 501c6 which is a business league and you know i, I live in wisconsin we have uh, commercials here on tv where the dairy producers come together through a 501c6 and they run ads saying you know almond milk will kill you it's not real milk you know drink cows' milk it's better for you right <laughs> um, but they do that through the 501c6 and um, it's actually registered as a business league it's technically called but we get to maintain tax-exempt status in exchange for not promoting a specific member of the group so the dairy producers can say you know drink milk but they can't say drink milk from foremost farms <laughs> So we do the same thing with the mock alliance um, and we have basically four functions within the alliance that we perform. The first is we explicitly gatekeep who can use the term and who can't use the term mock. We have a trademark on it. Um, We haven't enforced it yet, but we reserve the right to and we may very very well if we start to see egregious misuses of it. Um, We have a very rigid set of criteria for both uh, SIs and ISVs, who can use the term and who can't. And we're very clear about gatekeeping. And that's, you know, that's by definition because it is a very distinct form of architecture. It is a new style. It is becoming the default very quickly. And we don't want people in who aren't actually meeting the technical criteria. Um, so gatekeep is, gatekeeping is number one. Number two is um, growing and expanding the category through education. And we have an operating budget of about $2.4 million at this point. And a full-time staff of five, and through the alliance, we do webinars for CFOs on the accounting of SaaS software. We do hackathons. We do in-person um, meetups for dinners. We are hosting a big conference at the end of June in London. Um, we do events off to the side of Shop Talk and NRF. Um, lots and lots and lots of of webinars, um, um. content pieces. Um, You know, just engaging with folks out there. Um, The third thing we do is we make it easier to buy these products together. And a challenge has always been, it's a lot easier conceptually to write out a giant check to Salesforce or SAP. And you get everything in a box. With Mock, what we're saying is don't do that. Instead, buy granular pieces, the best of breed pieces for your business from specific vendors. And if you take that to its logical conclusion... You're going to end up doing business with five, six, seven, eight different vendors because you're going to need one for commerce, one for content, one for search, one for personalization. You know, and you're working your way across the stack. That's a lot of commercial relationships to maintain. So, the third, you know, portion of what we do through the alliance is to make it really easy to buy and use products together. Um, and we do that through aligning on commercials. We do that through. Um, technical standards and making some alignment there. We make it easy for the SIs to publish the reference stacks and list uh, their preferred reference stacks. So just generally, we're making it easy to use these products together. And the fourth and final thing we do is we offer community. So we have an ambassador program, which is capped at 25 members, and that's typically CTOs, SVPs, uh, folks actually doing mock implementations. So we have the CTO of Sephora, we have the SVP at Puma, Um, you know, lots of folks like that and we get them together as a community. We stay out of it, but we just facilitate it. And it's a great way for them to network, exchange tips and tricks. Um, there's a pretty active recruiting network going on within that, that community. Um, and then also for the vendors, now we're up to, I want to say we're at 60 vendors, 61, something like that. Uh, it's a good way for all of us as vendors to come together and socialize and exchange, Tips on you know fundraising and all the things that we do as as vendors, and then from a member standpoint, we have a pretty broad collection of of members. So at the very top end, we have Deloitte, we have AWS, um, we have MongoDB, Netlify. You know those are some of the the bigger tier members. And then we have on the commerce side, um, commerce tools, contents, or sorry, um, commerce tools, Vtex, Big Commerce, Fabric. Um, on the content side, we have Contentful, Content Stack, Ampliance, um, Storyblock, forgive me if I'm missing anyone, Graph CMS. See, I, I shouldn't list members because I inevitably leave one or two out and I hear from them. <laughs> so I apologize in advance. Um, we have uh, constructor and Algolia for search. So we have a pretty broad assortment, um, but
1: broadly we're focused on customer experience. That's fantastic. Um The, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there are folks that are listening to this saying, wow, the 60 plus vendors, um, how how do I, how do I reach out? How do I become part of this alliance if I wanted to? What would you, what would you say to an organization if they looked at this and said, this might be something that would be a good fit for me? Check out mockalliance.org slash members. And
0: there we have our, um, our mission. We have our application forms with the
1: criteria. Um, Everything should be there. Got it. So you also talked about it from a best of breed standpoint, you know, at least vendors coming together um, for that purpose with the standards that you have is, is this, and I also mentioned, you know, composable commerce earlier is, is so link those two together for me.
0: Sure. So let me start at at mock mock is how we as vendors build our products and expose them to the world. Um, Best of breed is generally you know, in opposition to more of the sweet style. So either you write out a giant check to a mega vendor and you get a suite of stuff which may or may not be best of breed, um, or you're going to smaller point vendors that you know have three, four or five hundred people, but they're only doing one very discreet thing, you know? Like they're just doing personalization or they're just doing, you know, take your pick, right? But you can get a lot of specialization and that leads to a very solid product for a point function. And then finally composable is more of a business level view of, I need to build the uh, experience for my shoppers, for my end consumers. I want to compose an experience using products that are uh, best of breed and mock based. So think of mock as the technical how we build and offer products composable is more of if you're an enterprise and you're going direct to consumer how do you compose that experience from different mock-based vendors
1: perfect that's that's exactly what i was looking for so thank you for that that's fantastic so um so let's take this uh, a little bit further you know um over the last you know a few well a couple years really um it's been greatly accelerated of so many brands Having to find themselves needing to sell online, you know, obviously everybody's seen it. We've seen the massive growth rates that happened through COVID. You know, it's hard for companies that are trying to lap those in the second year, but uh, but that that continues. Um, so as as brands have tried to look at, you know, implementing or improving or optimizing their their digital strategy, we've seen more of this uh, this this plug and play kind of model, similar to what we we're just talking about. And how they can build their e-commerce sites, e-commerce stores. Um, where does Commerce Tools you know, uh, position themselves within that? You know, as, as companies are looking, try to build, regardless of the size, small, big, you know, medium-sized companies. Um, help me understand kind of where you guys, uh, where you see Commerce Tools uh, fit in.
0: So, what we have fundamentally is a catalog of roughly 300 individually consumable APIs, and our APIs cover three areas. So first is anything related to product discovery, which is product catalog, um, search, those types of things. The second bucket is anything related to customers or users. So that's login, um, that's profiles, wish lists, gift lists. um, And then finally, anything related to orders. So promotions, shopping cart, checkout, those types of things. And we stop at order capture. We'll throw the order to an OMS but we don't get into the OMS territory at all. Um, And at the top end of our market, and by top end, I mean, we do the e-commerce for at and Sephora.com, Lululemon.com, you know, Lego.com, those types of brands. They're typically more than a billion a year in gross merchandise value. You know, some of them are up in the four or five billion a year. And at that level, they're consuming half of us or you know, or a little bit more, but they're building substantial chunks of it on their own. And I think Lululemon's Lemon's a great example. They built the discovery flow. So they built everything to PDP by themselves. So the homepage, the category pages, the product detail page, and then they stopped and they said, all right, the rest of this is too hard for us to build. And they bought that from us. Um, AT&T uses us for everything except for the very final stages of checkout because AT&T has 17, if you can imagine that, 17 ERP systems to integrate with as part of the checkout process. So they use this us for everything but, and we like to pitch ourselves um, at that level as offering commoditized, hard to build um, infrastructure components. And historically what you'd do is you'd go to one of these vendors and you'd say, all right, you know, I wanna do e-commerce and they would forklift you in a giant suite and you had to use the whole thing. And you couldn't really just build pieces of it. And now a lot of our customers are having a a lot of success building competency in-house. They've built teams, they've built competency, and they say, all right, I'm going to build my own pricing engine, or I'm going to build my own loyalty system. And that's great. We encourage that. Um, And we're also very clear as a company about what we do and don't do. And (laughs) it's gotten to be such a catchphrase of mine that uh, some of my European colleagues printed a T-shirt that says, "Uh, we don't do that. (laughs) Because I've said that so many so many times uh, in company meetings and things. Because you know we just we don't do we don't do content. You know we don't do order management. We're not we're not going to. We're doing really well offering commoditized, hard to build, highly differentiated infrastructure, basically. And I, I think of it almost like like load balancers. You know load balancers. If you remember, you have to get those. You had to get those F uh, five uh, net scalers you know, and those are what a million bucks a piece, you know, and you'd have to buy a couple of them. And it was really hard, really expensive. Now, if you go to AWS or any cloud, you get a load balancer for basically free. It's been commoditized. Um, And I think there's a lot of money to be made in offering commodities. If you're that vendor at scale doing that. And I don't think commerce, I mean, we've had commerce platforms now for 25 years. It's not that hard, you know, technically it's not that hard to build this stuff. So there's no, there's not a whole lot of secret sauce there. What we do is a very, very thorough job of offering these pieces. And we do so in a mock-based approach, which allows for, you know, very easy consumption. So anyway, at the top end of our market, people are building chunks. They're buying the foundation from us. And then you work way to the middle of the market. I'd say that's 500 million to a billion. People are largely using us as a replacement for ATG, Hybris, WebSphere Commerce, And that's a pretty standard swap of platforms, if you want to call it that. And then we do have a pretty substantial team going after this, what we call the commercial size side of the business. And that's sub 250 million. And we go all the way down to maybe 20 million a year in GMV for more advanced folks. And they're buying, we bought a company called Fantastic in November of last year, which is a front end in a box. And we have a new commercial offering called Commerce Tools Growth, which is fantastic, packaged with our APIs. But we do so in a very opinionated way, and it makes us very competitive against a Shopify Plus, a Magento, somewhere in that neighborhood. It makes it really, really easy for us to to um, to, to uh, be competitive there because we give it to them in a box with a bow tie on top. And we like to say that we're a platform that you grow into as opposed to a platform that you grow out of and shopify fantastic platform, but you grow out of it. you know it's very fixed, rigid, opinionated, and not terribly flexible, great to get started, but you know once you hit a hundred million in revenue, plus you know you're going to have issues with it, and that's what a lot of their customers are are facing and now with our new offering, we can go after that segment
1: yeah, that's good, it's great um I would, it, from a Lululemon and an AT and T standpoint, I can tell you we've been recent customers here in my household, <laughs> so my family wouldn't uh, even know that they were that they were interacting with you, but that's for sure. Um, you know, in, in that again on that that mid and small size, you know, I've spent a bit of time talking with you know with uh, folks in the industry about the maturity curve of businesses, and um, you know, it, it. You mentioned Shopify, and that can be a you know a, a r- pretty rigid place for people to start, but also we see. But I've spent a bit of time, whether it be in their domestic market or just even starting to think about the international markets, we see companies starting to utilize, um, starting out, I should say, not just starting to utilize, starting out by using a marketplace as their their direct-to-consumer kind of experience, right? Um, Obviously, we have our opinions about, you know, that you you lose things like uh, customer knowledge. You know, you don't have insight to who they are. You lose the customer experience. But, you know, somebody's talking to you but, and they were to say, hey, I'm going to sell on Amazon, right, um, as I'm going to start going direct or I'm trying to grow my business. How, how, how do you talk to them about um, the pros and cons of that?
0: Um, this, is, this is nuanced. <laughs> so stay with me. I think brands need to decommoditize themselves by creating emotionally engaging experiences. And, you know, Burberry is one of our customers. If you go to Burberry.com or, or Tiffany for that matter is another one of our customers, they have very um, rich, engaging experiences. They have behind the scenes tours, they have um, lookbooks that are shoppable, you know, meet the designer, you know, they have it's a very it's it's an experience, you know, in the same way that walking into one of their physical stores would be an experience, right? So you have to decommoditize and the way you do that is through headless commerce, because now you can offer your marketing team tools that are built for engaging with your customers, right? You go pick the CMS that works best for you. You connect that to a platform like ours at commerce tools. And all of a sudden you can very quickly and easily um, start engaging with your customers. So you have to decommoditize. We have customers who want to start being a marketplace themselves and Generally speaking, I think that's a bad idea. And it's because with marketplaces, you're right, you lose so much of the value and you disintermediate the experience because now somebody else is doing the shipping and everything else. And you almost relegate yourselves to a drop shipper in that case. And also, you know, the other challenge I have is um, if everyone has a marketplace, then what's the value of having a marketplace? <laughs> Right, you're going to go to Amazon, or you're going to go somewhere else where they're going to give you next day shipping, because Amazon will always beat you on logistics. You know what's the business value in in buying from a random marketplace out there for somebody doing fifty million or hundred million a year in revenue? Like, there's no there's no value. I would say there is a good business case when you've we have a customer LL uh, Bean, and they use us as a marketplace for. I think it's a set of gloves. It's like some uh, a line of gloves that they sell. And I think that makes sense where you have a product catalog and you're extending it with a unique product assortment. But just, you know, saying, "Hey, we're going to be a marketplace and now we're going to sell 100 million products." It doesn't really make a lot of sense. So, we at Commerce Tools aren't investing in marketplaces. We'll allow you to list your products elsewhere you know, we'll certainly help you, you know, dump your products to channel advisor or something, you know, or Amazon. Um, But I personally, and thankfully my leadership agrees with me that it's a terrible idea for us to become a marketplace ourselves.
1: Great. Um, So in in that regard, you meant, you talked about customer experience. It's come up a a few different times now, the world that, uh, that we're seeing has some potential to have some significant changes in it. Right. Right. you know, we, we've actually even addressed things like, uh, in the, in the metaverse concept of it, there's still going to be the concept of taxes, you know, <laughs> somebody's gonna have to accept a payment, you know, yeah. uh, if you're going to buy it or sell things, um, how, how are you guys thinking about that from in a role that you may play or, you know, all the way from how do you even think your customers may be thinking about, I might have to someday be selling, whether they're actually being buying what ends up being an actual real, real good, but I'm buying it through the metaverse or, I'm buying virtual goods in the in the metaverse. Have you guys been thinking about that and with your clients and your future?
0: Yeah. And I should say I'm not an inherently skeptical person, but about this metaverse thing, I'm very skeptical about the whole thing. I don't, it's not defined what it is at all. Um, we've also had virtual reality headsets at my own home for years and they were used the first week and then they've sat, in the corner collecting dust. You know, VR headsets are terrible user experience. It's very, um, I don't know, isolating is the right word. You know, they're bulky, they mess up my wife's hair so she won't put it on. Like they're just, for a lot of reasons, they're not terribly practical and not a very good experience. So I think the notion that we're all suddenly magically going to be throwing on these VR headsets and going off and, you know, hanging out with friends on Mars, I think that's a little far-fetched. I don't think the use case is there. I do think that um, augmented reality has real implications, and that's going to be the big one for commerce. Because if you have smart glasses or smart contacts, and all of a sudden you can put digital price tags over goods... And you know maybe you see somebody's shoes and you like those shoes so you zoom in on them and you click the price tag and you find out that they're, you know that they're a you know a new brand of shoes you could then buy that pair of shoes based on your fit data right there on the spot and that would be interesting. Or imagine walking through a Best Buy and seeing product reviews pop up of the products that you're looking at. That has much more applicability to commerce. Um, that being said, we can't predict what the future is gonna be. I have no idea what the that the head, as we call it, is going to be in the future. You know, it could still be a screen. It could be VR, it could be AR, it could be any combination of those things. Um, what we like to say is we don't care how you consume our APIs. So we expose to the world really nice, clean APIs. We have SDKs, we have GraphQL. I don't really care how you consume that. So if it's from, you know, virtual reality worlds, you're going to be able to make an arrest call back to a commerce engine. I mean, that's the lowest common denominator, and all of the internet is making an API call at this point. So we'll be fine, whatever that experience is.
1: Yeah, from a technology standpoint, making sure everybody yeah, has the ability to get get access that's a, that's a that's a that's a good point. Good point on the AR point. Um, I hadn't really thought about that one myself. Uh, that's uh, that's that's unique in in itself. Um, I also liked your point there about the, the isolating. I, I can't remember what company this has a commercial, but they have the two people, and they're yelling at each other through the wall, right? And like, you, you, you quiet down. No, you quiet down. And they're playing against each other. They just having to be neighbors, you know? So, uh, yeah, there's there's some real limitations, and I, I, I'm probably more on the skeptic side like you uh, in that regard. I um, tend to be an internal optimist, but on that one, I haven't, uh, I haven't quite personally figured that out either.
0: I think if you actually look at metaverse trends, it came exactly a month after the Facebook whistleblower scandal came and they rebranded themselves. So I think it's an elaborate PR campaign to distract people away from all of the terrible things Facebook is doing in our society. (laughs) I thought you asked my opinion, but.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that would uh, would agree with that. Uh, I've heard the same thing from uh, within my circles as well. so, you know, we're kind of getting near you know, probably the end of our time here. Um, you know, I, I'd love to ask you a few questions more specifically, you know, maybe a little bit more about you. We like to like to get a feel for, um, you know, what, uh, you know, when our listeners are, are, are thinking about your background, they listen to the front end. You've done a lot of different things. Like I you said, you've been an author, co-founder of a, this this organization, um, a leader of strategy for, for, you know, if you look at the, you know, the, the analyst Comparisons, of an industry leader in this space, right? Um, I'd love to love to hear some things about you know about you a little bit more. Like, you know, if you think about where are the places that you go to try to drive your thinking, right? Obviously, you have your own books, you have your own, you have your own uh, podcast. You you co-host Commerce Tomorrow. Um, You know, I'd love to tell uh, listeners how they can find that and be able to listen to you there. But what are the tools and or resources you go to? to continue to educate yourself, to keep driving your own thinking?
0: I'm a big fan of podcasts and I run a little over a thousand miles a year. So I've got lots of time to listen to podcasts. Um, that's one. I'm also a voracious reader of uh, RSS feeds. So I use Feedly and I have a couple thousand news sources and keyword alerts and things I put in there. So every day I get a couple thousand you know, cards and I've gotten really good over the years of skimming and figuring out, you know, where there's something interesting. So I end up reading a lot online just based on websites, people I follow, keywords. Um, and I've gotten really good at filtering through them very quickly. Um, and then some social media, you know, LinkedIn is good um, on occasion, um, Twitter, you know, but it's largely who you follow, you know. And if you can, if you can not follow the obnoxious growth hackers out there spewing nonsense all day. And actually follow the real thought leaders who you know, on occasion, say something smart. Um, you know, I, I think that's a good recipe for success.,
1: hey, would you mind sharing a couple of podcasts that you'd like to listen to?
0: Um I listen to Hidden Brain from NPR. I think that's interesting. it's it's all about psychology, um, everything else. Um, I listen to um, car talk, like old car talk episodes I actually have been really enjoying recently. Um, so that's been kind of fun. Um, new Bazaar is a spin-off of NPR, and that's all about um, finance and economics. Um, KERA Think, uh, every day they come out with a, a new episode where they interview an author of a book. Um, I mean, it's, I, it's dozens and dozens of them. Um, the Daily is good. Um, yeah. So, uh, oh, also um, Rick Watson, the Watson Weekly. I listen to that one every week as well.
1: Fantastic. I love the fact that you said you put putting about a thousand miles a week to we talk about that someday. That's, that's, that's fantastic. Um, it's probably, I would guess that's, that's a time where you're doing some of the thinking as well about, so you, you offer author um, four books, I believe it is. Uh, you want to talk about those a little bit, maybe a little shameless plug to go uh, look up Kelly and, and do some reading, but uh, I'd love to, love to hear more about the, the books that you, you've written as well.
0: Sure. Um, My first one uh, I wrote in 2013, it's called e-commerce in the cloud for O'Reilly. And that's the intersection of commerce and cloud. Um, It is so outdated. Um, I beg you, please don't read it because it's it's a time capsule at this point. Technology has moved so much further and so much faster than that. I wouldn't recommend touching it. But the last three are very relevant. It's uh, APIs for modern commerce, microservices for modern commerce, and GraphQL for modern commerce. Those are my three, all all for O'Reilly. And I wrote the first chapter to be very accessible to less technical readers. And uh, I think uh, it'd be uh, interesting for for our listeners here to pick that up and at least have a look at the first chapter. And if you go to my LinkedIn profile, I have them listed there. And I give you the actual um, book for uh, free. The last three are all listed there for free.
1: Great. so what well, you, you mentioned uh, LinkedIn so so that's one way that people can contact uh, with you if they if they're looking to do so uh, is that the best way or how would you recommend if, if one of the listeners is well, I, Kelly had to say it was really interesting I would love to learn more um, uh, are you open to having our, our listeners reach out and is that the best way
0: yeah that'd be great um, LinkedIn is where I post uh, try to post thoughtful business stuff um, Twitter is more of a uh, you know, pictures of my cat, um, family pictures, um, much more personal. Um, I get a little uh, ranty sometimes. Um, LinkedIn is where I try to keep it professional and generally try to keep silent (laughs) on controversial topics. Uh, But probably LinkedIn is best. Uh, But yes, feel free to reach out.
1: Well, uh, Kelly, thanks again for your time today. Uh, as a reminder, everybody, our guest has been Kelly Gage, uh, Chief Strategy Officer for Commerce Tools, uh, Global Commerce Platform for B2B and B2C Commerce. And Kelly, thank again, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. Great, great conversation. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Commerce Connect
0: podcast brought to you by Digital River and edited at Matriarch Digital
1: Media in Minneapolis, Minnesota. To learn more, head to digitalriver.com.